Cool. All right, you're happy. You got, yep. you got beer, you're happy. Yep. We can start now. Yep. This is I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Newham, and my co-host, Mr. Henry Salmon. Welcome back. This is episode number, I think it's eight. Maybe. Are we on eight? Maybe. Let's go with eight for now, and then when it's labelled differently, people can laugh at us. So, after my selection of Michael Kiwanuka last <clears> week, <throat> it's your turn. Who and what do you have for us? Who and what? Uh, the who is Muse, and the what, well, we're starting with Showbiz, because that's their, it's their first album, but I'm sure that might spiral out into the rest of their back catalogue. To be fair, Showbiz is is a really great album and I mean I started listening to Muse when they first started releasing stuff so I'm a big fan of it. I do actually have another album that I prefer maybe um, or, or at least listen to more if that's if that's a sign of preference. Yeah, yeah, because they, they came onto the scene, so Steve Lamack introduced them to me when they released Muscle Museum mm-hmm. which was in 99 I think so it was a kind of of its time but straight from the off you start hearing the voice and the musical skill that the whole band possess all right so tell us tell us about the tell us about the band who who are muse because we've got criticized for not actually telling people anything about the bands that we're talking about so they muse are from devon from Tameth. And uh, part, I reckon part of the reason why they're so interesting is because Devon is so boring. Um, well, they've literally said they would not be in a band if they hadn't grown up in Devon. And the only reason they started Muse was because they were bored. Yeah, well, uh, there you go. So there's Matt Bellamy, Chris Wilson-Home and Dominic Howard um, as the, the, the three-piece. The guy that everyone obviously knows is Matt Bellamy, the front man, mainly because he's verging on musical genius, I think, and he's does a lot of the writing. His background seems to be kind of multi-instrumentalist. I don't think he was ever trained formally in anything except classical guitar, where I read that. Oh, really? I didn't he, know that. But he can play the piano brilliantly, um, and his vocal range is, is pretty bonkers. So, And he also does a mean vocal guitar solo noise. It does, doesn't he? And I don't know <laughs> if he's putting that through a pedal. So, so it's recorded yeah. on a... It's recorded as if it was a guitar, but it's him singing into a mic through the amp, and then that what what comes out there is... It's the solo, I think, on Muscle Museum. Yeah, that'll be it. We should mention, of course, that we are putting together playlists for these podcasts because copyright is a bitch. And so... If you haven't discovered this yet, we have playlists for every podcast. So if you want to go and get a feel for Muse and what Muscle Museum sounds like, go and have a listen to that and then come back to us or have a listen afterwards. Yeah. It's your call. You're the listener. <laughs> so that, that was the starting point. And then they started to release stuff fairly regularly and they got they got known in the press. So they, they then went on to release... I don't know if it was straight afterwards, but the next, the song that caught my eye was Unintended, because that got onto Top of the Pops, and it's their kind of piano ballad. It's very quiet. Well, there's a couple of songs like that on on Showbiz, because there's Hate This and I'll Love You as well, which got almost zero attention, but was the first song I ever heard off that album. Literally, sitting in the bath, 
listening to XFM, which was great before it got bought by Capital. So I was listening listening to that in the bath, and this song came on by a band called Muse, and I listened to it. <laughs> it was like, oh, this sounds amazing! <clears throat> I love it. It's it's sort of a bit like Radiohead, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I thought Muse was spelt M E W S, so it took me a little you bit. Find them. Took me a minute to yeah. find them on the internet and actually have a proper <laughs> listen to their stuff. Okay, but my release is slightly wrong. It was Sunburn was next, which was the which I think Lamac also played. I definitely remember him playing that. And then it was Unintended in the summer of two thousand. Now the reason that I bring up Unintended is because also in the summer of two thousand I went to Glastonbury, and Muse played in in Glastonbury. Now I think they were on in the afternoon. It was definitely the other stage, and it was probably I don't know mid afternoon. And because the single at the time was this piano ballad that was on top of the pops there were families turning up thinking there's a nice band that were on top of the pops let's go and check them out and i distinctly remember a family of five up at the, right on the front row a music came on stage and they kicked off with the song they played was yes please now it's not that's not a well-known one but it starts with a lot of noise and everyone started pogoing all the way back to we were about 30 or 40 50 people back and you could see heads going up and down and all of a sudden the crowd starts to part in front of us and you can see this family realizing that they they've either at the wrong gig or something very very wrong with with what they expected and they come hurrying past and actually the Glastonbury crowd were amazing they all just push back let them escape and then everyone flooded back up to the front again and, and started going nuts. To be fair, I think you do get that at places like Glastonbury and, and those kind of festivals where people people are nice as well as like they, they want to go and see those rock bands, but they they understand what's going on there. Exactly. But the rest of the set was nuts. It was a little bit it wasn't the best, smoothest, slickest set. And if you it's all over YouTube, so you can you can go and check it out. The musicianship is all over the place and you can tell they're having a good time, but it's a bit rough and ready rough and ready but we all loved it and that's when you start to see this isn't some manufactured band that have gone into a studio to perfect everything Bellamy was on stage doing all sorts of funny things and even then he had his guitar which he could squawk funny sounds out of and he was playing with pedals and bouncing around well he's always been into the pedals he's always been a, a guy who wants to dick around with sounds and work out I want to make this noise, how do I make this noise? Yeah. Rather than just accepting the limitations. Mm. I mean, he's had pedals built into his guitar and custom built all sorts of things. So he's he's definitely one of those musicians that wants to push the boundaries. Yeah. But they also have, it's kind of a magical combination of both pushing the boundaries and also having that raw energy and that, like you say, the excitement on stage. Because I, I didn't see them in the early days. I was sadly missed out I've got a friend um, a guy called Mark who I was really good friends with at school and still sort of in touch with he's a really great guy and he was he was really into the gigs I used to go to gigs with him at Bristol Uni and up in London a bit as well but he and his girlfriend at the time went to see Muse in the Birmingham Academy 2 which is the tiny little room upstairs right. and that would have been around the same time and they were just blown away by how much noise three guys could make yeah i think the first time i saw them properly was isle of white festival in 2007 
Oh, cool. Um, and it was the first time I'd managed to get to Isle of Wight. I'd been wanting to go for years because it always has really good Indian rock lineup and, and there's always like legends and things like that on the on the so it was Rolling Stones was the year that I went. And they are they were on on the Saturday night. They blew me away. They were better than the Stones. Even at that point where they're seven years into the career, they've still got that raw energy. Because they at that time they would have released Black Holes and Revelations. Correct. Which and is the one that, probably the album that I've listened to the most. Yeah. And then that's quite a change from actually the, the, if you go through the four albums that they've released up to 2007 you've got Showbiz which is kind of quite quite pared back and then it moves into Origin well, of Symmetry which Showbiz is a little bit um, not unbalanced that's the wrong wrong way of putting it but it, it, it has the extreme so it's either turned up to 11 all of the rock balls to the wall type stuff or quiet and melodic things like unintended and yeah. hate this and I'll love you which I guess is great for a debut but you can <clears> see the evolution on each album I think that's where you're going with that well so I heard uh, Origin of Symmetry when I was traveling so I went backpacking and on his gapya gapya um, hey, I worked for like six months in a prawn factory, shoveling <laughs> prawns. Now that is proper dedication to get around the world. So, um, God. If that was there's no trust fund there. That is a that is a prawn shoveling stank of prawns for your entire travels. Night shift, yeah. Didn't eat a prawn for another two years. Not on those barbies in Australia, no way. <laughs> and I, I got as far as Australia, and obviously this is I was travelling with CDs, and I'd had the same twenty CDs on loop for about two months by the time we got to Australia and I remember for the kids listening a CD is a small <laughs> plastic disc that you put into a machine and it plays just one album that's it yeah and then if you scratch the CD it's you're doomed so sorry you're effed so yeah I ended up in an HMV in Sydney so downtown Sydney and I saw this album, and I hadn't really been following the music press, and I'd had I'd had Showbiz in my in my CD case, and so I thought, oh, brilliant, let's listen to this. And I put the headphones on, and I think you, you've done this too. We, I think we discussed this a, a, another time. But you, you're listening to this music coming down the the phones, and newborn builds and kind of builds, and you think it's done its thing, and then it just carries on, and you're just thinking, what the hell is this piece of music? Newborn's and, amazing. And I just, what an intro that is! It's I, th- I think it's their best song. I can't you can't beat that. Actually, maybe butterflies and hurricanes. I think there are probably four or five tracks that I would struggle to pick a favourite. In, in terms, because yeah. I would have Knights of Cydonia in there as oh, well. Oh yeah, true. Knights of Cydonia is is the standout memory for me from that Isle of Wight set. Where yeah. so they had this. You think like the Star Trek transporters where you've got the circular thing above and below yeah, yeah. someone standing on a platform so the drums on that platform they had these digital screens below and above wrapped around those those kind of circular bits that were that he was sat on mm-hmm. and they started throwing the lyrics in the middle of Knights of Sidonia yeah. no one's going to take me alive time has come to make things right and I had every hair on my body standing on end and my eyes out on stalks it yeah. was just and I can I've literally just had all the hairs <laughs> on the back of my neck go up even just thinking about it without even listening to it well I've watched that on TV when they played Glastonbury and you're watching a set at home and you just 
thinking I kind of want to be there because that's incredible. But yeah, so I sat in this Sydney um, HMV listened to the one song and then just ran to the front desk and just said take my money I'm, uh, I, I don't care what the rest of the album's like I'll just listen to the first song and repeat um, it's, it's the it's the fry from Futurama moment take my money <laughs> wave yeah. it at the counter throw yeah. it in their faces and run off with the CD yeah c- c- completely sold to me I think I bought that album week of release yeah because I was just I have to own that it's just it's so good it's such an incredible album and uh, not just and that's the thing there's a weird thing with Muse. The first three albums, I think, I basically just love them all straight off the bat because all of them are just brilliant pieces of, of rock and rock opera and space rock and whatever else you want to call it, that kind of yeah. cyber rock thing that they do. But then you start to get into things... Heading towards prog, isn't it? It, it, it is prog-ish, I guess, but it's... It's louder than most prog and has more of an edge to it, I think. Mm. And then you start, you get out of Black Holes and Revelations, which was, again, fantastic. I love that album so much. And you get into The Resistance and The Second Law and Drones and last year's Simulation Theory. And each of those albums feels like Muse have always had this, well, they're just over the top. And massively dramatic and operatic and blah 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 and yeah. people throw this criticism at them and it, it almost feels like Matt Bellamy challenging critics and just being like well we're going to ramp it up to yeah. 10x the last album and then people just go out and buy it anyway and it's like it just feels like every time they've ramped it up again and the last couple of albums probably all of those albums I've listened to them and be like oh, it's a bit over the top guys but then I go back and have another couple of listens and another listen and another couple of listens and I'm like, it's good. No, nah, now I love it. it. Now I love it. It's just amazing. Have you seen the artwork for Simulation Theory? It's so eighties. Um, and the so I remember the video to Something Human. That instantly, it was so eighties, but eighties in a brilliant way. And it's eighties looking at sci-fi from the eighties perspective of what the future will be. Yeah, and yeah, how can you not love that? I mean, I it's got its place and a lot of the people that I guess we'd hope to listen to this podcast will think they've gone too far. Well, I always seem to think they've gone too far when I first have listened to those albums, so I wonder how much of it is people giving up before they've had a chance to let the album bed in a bit. Yeah. yeah. So go and have another listen. Go and have another listen. <laughs> um, and if you don't know any of the stuff from the late, the late noughties, I guess, then if you listen to uh, Absolution, that album, I, I got that when we were, I think we were at university and uh, I got it in the summer and listened to that. And there's a track on there called Butterflies and Hurricanes, which is, I guess it's their Bohemian Rhapsody. It's, yeah. it's a long track and it changes. But whack that on and um, sit on the sofa and shut your eyes and listen to that. And that just, that's a cracker. We'll, we'll I guess as part of the Spotify playlist, we'll pick out our favourite tracks so even if they're not even if we haven't mentioned them here we'll uh, we'll throw those in so so you get a good feel for the best of Muse for me there's Black Holes and Revelations I think we should go back to that and talk a little bit more about that because for me there's so many fantastic Starlight Supermassive Black Hole Map of the Problematic as a as a series of three are just just unreal yeah I don't know because I I bought this album and it's probably one of my least played Muse albums. Really? And I think it's just because they started to 
they started to lighten up a little bit. It, it's not a full-on assault on a sonic assault. They try to use it a bit more sparingly. It's where they've got a bit more rock opera rather than outright rock. Yeah. But I, I like that stuff, and it's not as over the top of some of the later stuff. It feels it's it's less outright rock and more a bit queen-ish rock, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like it's got an element of some of those <clears throat> mid to late Queen albums where they're, they're, they want to say something and they've got a bit of an over-the-top thing. Um, and they use more of, of Bellamy's range as well. There's a lot yeah. more of... The guy has... I mean, he can sing all the way in the bass and then he goes all the way up into this crazy falsetto, which is amazing. So here's an observation I had. When I was when I first got into Muse, they were on my playlist along with Coldplay. And right. they were both making... So Coldplay is parachutes at yep. around the same kind of time. And, and I will not hear a bad word said about that album. That was an amazing album. We, we can, yeah. If, I if, will if, fight anyone if, that if, tries if, to tell me early Coldplay isn't good. If we do a, a podcast on um, on Coldplay, yeah, we'll we'll stop it after, <laughs> pretty soon after that. But um, but I but you watch the two bands grow and go off in their different directions, and it's quite in, interesting how they're both. They were not too far apart in terms of their core audience when Parachutes came out in Showbiz. They were quite. They were grouped in the same kind of. They would appear on the same compilation. They CDs. they were in that British indie post Britpop era. Yeah. The first few bands coming out to start doing that. Yeah. And they got because you had bands like Keen in there as well, and a lot of those bands have fallen away, and it's only really Coldplay, Muse, maybe a couple others that have have managed to make careers out of it. Yeah. And the interesting thing for me, you talk about that, and I, I totally agree with you. The interesting thing for me was that Muse, when I first started listening to them, what hooked me in was the almost consistency of Muse's music and Matt Bellamy's voice with some of the Radiohead stuff that I'd been listening to that was OK <laughs> Computer and into Kid A. Yep. And so I thought they were going to be the next Radiohead. And it turns out they're the next Queen instead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you yeah. have to compare them to any kind of band of that era. Yeah, that, yeah, I'd go with that too. They have definitely picked up that kind of mantle of just going all, all out. Yeah. Unashamedly so. All right, so we're trying to talk about albums and bands that are influential. What stuff did you get into because of Muse? Or are they kind of just a, you got into Muse because of Muse? Uh, I, I, I could almost flip this question I think they were almost the last of a long string of that kind of indie band and I think especially British indie from the mid 90s to I guess the mid 2000s like that 10 year span and it's kind of that's when British guitar bands kind of started to die well there was a big focus in, and we've we had a lot of these conversations because at uni I was still into a lot of the British indie and you were much more starting to get into Canadian and American indie stuff. I'm glad you mentioned Shins. Canadian. Um, yeah, um, we can have a whole section on Canadian music. The Canadians are amazing. I I, think, I definitely think I think there's a lot of stuff that comes from Canada that a lot Canada. of people <laughs> that a lot of people are either unaware that that band is Canadian or. Or they, they've heard the music and they just don't know who the band is. Because there's a lot of great stuff there. I mean, we're going to talk in the near future about Arcade Fire. And I mean, they're not all Canadian, but that band and the sound originates around the Montreal scene that they 
that they were in. I think Muse, Muse for me echoed, I think in a similar way, echoed a lot of the bands I'd been into. Yeah. And they didn't necessarily get me into anyone in particular, but they certainly, they sort of carried that torch for a long time for me, where I just continued to listen to album after album of theirs. And I, I don't think there's anyone really doing that similar kind of ridiculous over-the-top operatic rock music in the way that they are and in the way that Queen did in the 70s. I don't think anyone's tried. I think no. I'd be nervous to like go up against that. <laughs> well, I don't know that they're necessarily taking Muse on in that way, but, you know, you have scenes around bands, right? So you think about Britpop and it was all Oasis and Blur, but there were all these other bands that, record companies were trying to push because they needed their version of Oasis and Blur. Yeah. No one's despite how immensely popular Muse are, you know, these are guys that have been doing stadium tours for well over a decade now. Yeah. No one's really tried to push their version of Muse. And maybe that is because they have such a difficult you can't you can't manufacture that energy and that sound. Yeah. If you look at the musicianship that's going on, it's not just the front man. You've got a drummer who can just play on it. He, you could put him on stage on his own, just like start playing, and, he, and, he'd, and he'd go. And some of the bass lines that you hear, well, I was going to say start naming songs, but actually just just go through the entire Muse Back catalogue and just turn the bass up and listen to what what riffs he's playing. It, it's, it's amazing. Well, I think it wouldn't work if he wasn't, because obviously Bellamy is playing either guitar or piano on any given song, and sometimes both, but he'll switch between the two. And so you need that bass to be interesting enough and musical enough to to be doing something for the song, not just you know your standard plodding bass line that, that is keeping time along with the drums. Yeah. I, I genuinely don't think unless all three were incredibly talented musicians, you just you just couldn't have a band like Muse that's a three piece that's that's as inventive and produced the output that they have done. Yeah. Simple. Cool. Yeah, yeah, so Muse, go and listen. Go and listen. We, so you you are you're focused on Showbiz as the album that you really think. Yeah. And I'm I'm gonna have to say Black Holes and Revelations for me. So I think if you want to get into Muse, have a listen to those two albums and, and, and go from there. Yeah, or just listen to Newborn on loop like I did in Australia <laughs> and then you're away. Yeah, if you don't like new, Newborn, just just don't don't bother. I mean, not with Muse, just with music generally. Like, music's <laughs> not for you, I'm afraid. All right, thanks for joining us. We will be back in hopefully a week's time. We will chat to you then. There it is. Thank you for listening to I Might Be Wrong, a rather rambly podcast about music hosted by myself, Rich Newnham, and my co-host, Mr. Henry Salmon. 